Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, alumni. I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, the podcast that is just for you. I'm excited to be back for another episode, and whether this is your first or 40th episode, I'm glad you're here too. Hey, today we continue our conversation about grad school. Yes, grad school. As I said last week, I remember it fondly. One of the things that's amazing to me about that period of time is how relationships were forged. I told a brief story in our last episode about feeling totally out of place while sitting around the lunch table with my cohort as they shared stories about their college adventures. Go back and give it a listen if you haven't already. But I also said I eventually became very close with them over the course of our program. What's amazing is that so much of that closeness came from hardship. Late nights studying together in the classroom where your upcoming exam was going to happen. More late nights trying to figure out your stats homework together and getting what we would call stats drunk as sleepiness started to fight your brain for attention. Getting teamed up to write papers together and trying to sort out how in the world you were going to blend your two very different writing styles into one cohesive product. And myriad other classroom and homework experiences that bond you together in very unique ways. But some of the most powerful moments for growing in deep relationship, at least for me, happened outside of the classroom. I share about it briefly in my conversation with Choma, but I remember being at a conference with my cohort in a small town about 45 minutes away from campus. It also just happened to be the town where my girlfriend lived, the girlfriend I'd moved to Minnesota to be closer to. What I didn't realize was that she and I were going to break up for good right in the middle of that conference. We'd been having some trouble, took a break for a week or so, and were going to meet up while I was in town to patch things up and move forward. Or so I thought. As we got together to talk during an extended break in the middle of the conference, it became very clear that we'd reached an impasse in our relationship and it was time to go our separate ways. I went back to the conference gutted. My classmates, they were there for me. They didn't have to be. I'd done nothing to earn the level of care and attention they gave me that evening. But that night, our relationship changed, at least for me, from colleagues to -to honest-to-goodness friends. And I'll remember that forever and will always be grateful for them. Well, in the second half of my conversation with Choma today, we talk about thriving in relationships, what it means to look at your current cohort as friends and not just colleagues. We'll also look at some of the things that were helpful for us as we sought to continue growing in our walk with Jesus during grad school. So if you haven't listened to part one, pause this episode right now and go back and listen. For everybody else, let's jump back in with Choma. Here we go. This one's for you, alumni. I think you're leading us really nicely into why being able to thrive socially is so important in these programs, in that having a collaborative relationship with your classmates is incredibly important. That was huge for me. I wonder if that was the case at all for you, being collaborative and not just collaborative in an academic sense, but actually developing relationships with people in your class. What was that like for you as far as having a positive experience where you were doing well? One of the things that someone told me when I first got into law school 
which I didn't understand until later, was that you don't want to make any enemies in law school. And I was like, that does seem wise generally in life. I kind of just took that to heart. I mean, I'm like a people person. And my first year, because I am so social, like I love people so much. My first year, I actually isolated quite a bit, you know, and like I almost like went against my natural nature because I would just be talking to everyone all the time and I probably wouldn't get anything done, you know? So like I put my little cubicle on the sixth floor of the library, like right next to the big window where you could look down at the fifth floor table. And I was just there every Every day from like 8 a.m. till probably 5 p.m. to go pick up my kid. And I would like leave my stuff there and go to class, come back. So like I was just stayed right in that lane the whole first year. And people eventually found me and I started talking and then people started like sitting in the cubicles around me. Now, so like it was kind of nice. And, you know, looking back, I think I could have opened up to people a little bit more during that first year. But I was just so afraid of my nature of like loving people so much that I wouldn't get the work done that I needed. To, you know, my first year, I did find people to be in a study group with. Some people invited me into a study group and we built some solid relationships and studied together. And like they really helped me get through that first year. But I would say, like, my second year is when I kind of started figuring out who some of my people were that I could study well with, that I could trust both with academic stuff and personally. Like anywhere, there are just different people that you vibe with and people that you don't and people that you're drawn to and people that you're not, you know. And I would say most of my class, I have very good rapport with. We are, you know, very cordial with each other, like have a lot of talk on social media, see each other around. And then, yeah, there are a few people that I've just formed bonds with through working together on the law journal, through being in classes together and then having study groups together. I think over time, I just knew that I needed to find people and I kind of locked in on the people that I vibed with better. There's something very interesting about this cohort experience that you have. You know, when you get into your upper level classes of your program in undergrad, I think you start to experience that a little bit because you have more classes probably with a smaller group of people and the same group of people more consistently. But even so, it's not the same level of consistency that these kind of programs are, at least in my experience. I don't know how did they just like hand you your schedule and say, like, these are the classes that you take and everyone in your cohort takes them together. Is it the same rhythm for everybody? The first year, yes, but second and third year, you can choose your own schedule. You specialize a little bit more? Yeah. So in my program, it was we all had all the same classes for both years. So all eight of us were together every day for every class. And then we had a few classes that we took with other programs, like our stats class we took with a different psych program. So we had a couple of those. But the cohort experience is really unique, I think, in that you're like, these are my people for the rest of this program. And that's the sort of a double-edged sword. <laughs> right. It's a really great opportunity to start learning what it's like to operate in the next level because you're going to be working with these same people for a long time, many of them. And you will naturally have people that you get along with really well. And that's great. And you can lean into those. And you'll have some of those people that you're like, I'm not so excited about spending the next couple of years with you because right. <laughs> I think it's going to be challenging. And that's a great opportunity to learn what does it look like to be cordial and collegial with people that even if I don't necessarily like them that much, I can have a positive relationship with them. But then these are my people over here and I'm really going to lean into that and enjoy that relationship. That was huge for me as well, was starting to discern some of that stuff. 
I was fairly isolated the first semester of my program. Part of that was because I was dating somebody that lived like 45 minutes away. So I would like leave on weekends to see her and hang out with her and her family. And she was the only person I knew because I moved, you know, states away from home. That eventually disintegrated. My classmates were literally the only people that I had to fall back on at that point. And they were there for me. As I slowly started warming up and spending more time with them, it was like, oh, we can be here for each other when we inevitably hit those bumps in the rest of our life. And that was huge. I'm so grateful for them. And that was a huge part of my thriving was having legitimate relationships with these people that weren't just class centric, that it was also life outside of class. We celebrated and we commiserated. Like both of those things were a part of our rhythm. You know, we would share in the highs of like, yes, we crushed that verbal quiz. We all did great. Or we all knew what it felt like to fail at those verbal quizzes in front of the class as well. (laughs) And so we could commiserate with each other. And that was vital for our success. Or two. I mean, like the verbal quiz you just mentioned. So there's something in law school that's pretty central called moot court. I don't know if you've heard of it. Basically, at the court of appeals level, we're putting together like briefs and oral arguments with a partner. So again, you know, like one of my best friends from law school now, Maddie, she was my partner in moot court. And so in that class, we regularly had to get up without note. I'm still upset. Like (laughs) This is triggering. If anybody's listening because they went to grad school, like they want to connect with somebody, this might be a trigger warning right here. (laughs) Exactly. Trigger warnings. Um, It was horrible. And I was so pregnant. And every time I went up, like, I'm so used to just having notes, being ready, like with what I'm going to say. And I mean, the thing about it is that like, you're talking about the law, like you're literally trying to verbalize legal rules. I'm a pretty good speaker, but like, when I don't know the rules, I was like stumbling over my words. It was so embarrassing every time. I thought that I looked like an idiot, completely fell on my face every time. And like Maddie was like, I'm telling you the truth. I would tell you all the thought that you like had it together every single time you're up there. I was like, like, I still kind of think she's lying, but she was like, no, she tells me the truth about other things. So like, I'm pretty sure she's telling the truth, but like that bonded us so much. Like there were times where I was crying afterwards being like, I looked so stupid up there. And she was like, we all felt that way. Right. So, I mean, like when you say the commiserate thing, like that is so real. That makes me think of another just sort of one-off thing is like in grad school, you are going to fail. Like you will have moments of looking like a moron in front of your whole program, including the professors that you are trying to impress. It will happen. Just accept it and then let your friends take you out for a pizza or for a drink or for whatever it is that's needed after that. It's going to happen and then you can do it for them as well when they inevitably have a major bomb as well. A hundred percent. This is taking me to such like wonderful and painful places all at the same time. I (laughs) I loved my program and I loved my class so much, like my cohort so much. You and me talking together makes me feel like I'm kind of back there with them as we're talking about these things. Choma, one other place that I want us to touch on that I know is vital for our thriving in grad school or whatever this next program is, is spiritually. Like, how do we develop spiritually, especially as we think about we've been a part of a chapter with our, you know, our chapter mates for however many weeks, months, years that we've been connecting with them. More than likely, you are moving to a program that's in a different school far away from them. For some, that's not the case. But for many of us, that would be the case. What does that look like to find rhythms of thriving spiritually in grad school? 
the beginning was very, very isolating, very lonely from a spiritual perspective. Like being on a college campus again, there was just not the same pursuit of being like, hey, there are these people here wanting to take care of you spiritually. And even if that was there that first year, like I know that I wouldn't have had the same type of time to commit to what I did in undergrad. This is kind of where listening to God, talking to God, and the foundation of your relationship with God kind of comes into play because I feel like I had reserves, if that makes sense, right? My relationship with God, my spiritual practices that I'd had, there were reserves that I kind of had to dig into during that first year where I was really having to rely on my relationship with God, even though I wasn't able to have the same practices that I did because I just didn't have the same type of time. I had kids and was married and doing this program, right? So like, so a day off isn't like a day at Starbucks journaling for 10 hours, you know, like I had to like take care of a house. I had to take care of a baby. I had to invest in my marriage, right? I think that there were other things that I had to do in the times that I wasn't studying. That balance of not having the time to do the same spiritual practices was difficult. But the reserves that I had to dig into was like asking God, like, I was like, God, I don't know how to operate at this level without the spiritual practices that I used to have, like being able to go on a retreat once a year for like two days and just think and pray. What do I do? So I think you kind of have to have eyes to see what God is doing and how he's providing for you. There was a girl in the class that a year ahead of me that I actually knew from City Life. And I had no idea she was in law school. I posted on social media that I got in SLU. And, you know, she commented, she was like, hey, welcome to SLU. I actually go here. And I was like, what? And so I was like, that's awesome. And what I tell you, she was probably one of the people I texted the most during that first year. I remember in that cubicle, texting her about professors, texting her about books, texting her about someone said this really rude thing to me that got under my skin, making me feel unqualified to be there. Texting her about just anything that got in my head. I texted her and she was there for me and she prayed for me. And looking back, I'm like, God provided in that time when I didn't have a context for what my normal spiritual practices were, he provided this What seems like such small fellowship compared to our 100-person chapters going and meeting all these people, you know, there was one person that was there for me that was willing to pray with me. She would come into my study room sometimes. We would pray together, and she was just with me. I see that, like, it might not look like what you are used to or even what you would expect, but God is present and providing in those contexts. I think that there's probably a word in there about the possibility of guilt over those things. Like you have come from these rhythms of, okay, this is what a healthy spiritual rhythm looks like. And so I need to carry that into my life and say, no, if you had a healthy spiritual rhythm during college, that's what a healthy college spiritual rhythm looks like. You are not in college anymore. And now part of your job, again, as the pursuit of this sort of world changer experience, part of that is learning what does my new next phase of life healthy spiritual rhythm look like. And to remember, God invited you and brought you to be in this program on purpose. He knew what the intense rigor of this program was going to be. Like he is anticipating, he knows that your spiritual rhythms are going to change. And so you do not need to feel the guilt 
of, I don't get to do these retreats. I don't get to do these large groups and these small groups and all of these things that I used to be able to do all the time. And so it's easy to just beat yourself up about that and to say, you know what? I don't think God expects that from you because he knows what this experience is going to be like. And so watch for what is the rhythm that God is making a way for you to experience here and lean into that and trust that those are the resources he wants to give you to fuel, to do the work that he's called you to do and to be faithful to that and not beat yourself up over it looking different. Cause once you graduate or maybe even from one semester to the next or from one year to the next in your program, it's probably going to change again. And so this is good practice to learn how do I update and alter what my spiritual rhythms look like? Because six months from now, they might need to change again. And I, I, I need to be okay with that. Totally. And it's like, even as you say that, my second year looked totally different. My third year looked totally different. And God just provided in so many different ways based on the year and based on what I was going through. You know, I was pregnant second year. And the way that people served me, even if we didn't have the same spiritual background, we're still in the same program. And there's so much we still have in common, like people bringing me food and helping me feel comfortable, like in my study room and bringing my books so I wouldn't have to carry them. Just the ways that people served me, that was huge. My third year looked different. So keeping your eyes open, like I love how you said that, like that is probably one of the best pieces of advice that I would give to someone going into that type of program. I would recommend if you can fight for carving out a Sabbath every week, even if it's not a full day, if there's a consistent space for me that I did this, it took me a little while to get there, but I did it. I carved out Sunday and I said, I'm not doing any work. And it was amazing. It was doable. And I got to go to church. I got to have lunch with my classmates and do non-class things with them. And I got to have just some time to sit and breathe and watch a movie and take a nap and prepare for the next week. And I got everything done that I needed to get done. And that was huge making that Sabbath time. So again, your experience may not look like mine. It may not look like Choma's, but there's something there that God is making available to you. What does it look like to lean into it and soak it up for all that it's worth? Yeah. I, and one other thing I'll say about Sabbath is I heard Tim Keller say once who pastors in New York City, which is where I'm from. I grew up upstate, but then, you know, we moved downstate uh, close to the city. And, you know, he talks about Sabbath where he's like, I can't promise you that other people that are not Sabbathing will not get ahead of you. That's not really what Sabbath is promising. You are giving something up, right? Like in law school, when I finally got to a place of starting to Sabbath, because I really struggled with it during the first year, I don't think I did very much at all. I think it was maybe second semester that I started to get into a rhythm. But I mean, I just remember that when he said that, yes, you might see someone get ahead in that day. But it's part of saying, Jesus, I trust you. You have put me in this program. You will lift me up wherever I need to be for the purposes of your kingdom. You are the one at work. Yeah, I am working. You know, but you are the one that is like moving this work that I'm putting in forward. The active choice of Sabbath. It's an act of declaring that he is the one moving this forward and I'm not. I thought that that was really helpful because I was like, okay, like, well, what if I see people moving ahead of me? It's like, okay, take a breath and relax because like that probably will happen. But this is why we Sabbath. We are recognizing that achieving is not the only or even the primary purpose of our life. And Sabbath is a way to remind us I cannot achieve for today. And some people may move ahead, but that's okay because the purpose of my life is not achievement. A hundred percent. 
Okay, so Chioma, I hope we've given a list of, of some helpful advice for people entering into grad school or whatever this next phase of education is called for you. Is there anything that we haven't said that's on your mind or anything that feels like a, if you only remember one thing from this time, remember this? Is there any of that kind of advice that you would give for someone who is about to set foot into this next level of education? What comes to mind is both the self-worth thing and keeping your eyes open for like what could look different, but like, is God still providing? So the self-worth thing, just keeping perspective of the entirety of your life, you will feel feelings. This is the end all and the be all, the anxiety, the worry, the panic, all of that. Like it will be there as if this is it, but just remembering that it really is not. And as a follower of Jesus, trusting that if you believe he brought you into this program, he will make a way to wherever you're hoping to go or whatever you're hoping to do with this program. Just try to remind yourself of that perspective regularly. The second thing is just remember to keep your eyes open. Your spiritual walk is not going to look the same, especially coming straight out of undergrad to grad school. It will look very different. The demands are going to be extremely different and they'll be much higher than undergrad, you know? And then if you get married in grad school and have a family, right? Like that also is a thing. So just remember, it could look different, but God is still present. He's with you, looking out for you. It just might look different. So keep your eyes open. I love that. Chioma, thanks so much for talking through this. I, I already said this, but grad school for me was one of the most challenging and amazing experiences of my life. I got to do things and learn things that I never thought I would. I got to meet people that I love and still love today. And I remember so much of it so fondly and getting to talk with somebody who gets some of those things. This has been a joyful experience for me. I have really loved this so much. Me too. It's great. It's such a good reminder. Just some of the great parts of being able to have that type of uh, opportunity and education and just what God did during that time. So yeah, I really enjoyed talking about it. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experiences with us. Thanks for giving us your time, the gift of time, the resource that you don't get back. I appreciate you investing that in our alumni. Thank you for the work that you're doing uh, and the way that you are pursuing building God's kingdom through the justice system, through the work that you're doing as a lawyer. And I'm excited for you and for the work that you're doing and what it will mean for your local community and even more broadly than that. So blessings on you and, and the work that you're doing and, and on your family, uh, your, your relationship with your family in the midst of a significant career that you have going on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. Love Choma's thoughts here. He brought you here on purpose. He will make a way. For many, that way will look exactly how it sounds. You're in your program, you'll face many difficulties, but you will make it through and move on to the next stage of your career. But for some, the way that God is making for you might look a little bit more like mine. I completed grad school, and while my degree has been a huge help to me in many different ways, I was rejected by every PhD program I applied to, and I'm not working professionally in the field of psychology. And yet, I 100% believe that God brought me to that program on purpose, just not for the end goal I expected. He made a way, but it wasn't the way that I anticipated. You too might get to the end of your program and find God takes you down a path that is completely different than you expected. It's even possible that you will find out partway through your program that you're not going to finish. You might drop out. And if that happens, it's going to be incredibly inconvenient and even painful. You'll be sad and angry, and that's really hard. But it doesn't mean that God didn't lead you there on purpose. Nothing is wasted, friends. 
Look around you and see what else God might be doing that was part of the reason why he brought you there. For me, it was InterVarsity staff work and being part of an organization that God's using to transform the landscape of colleges and universities. It was for my wife, Caitlin, who is an infinitely better partner in life than I could have ever hoped for. It was for our daughters, who are two unique people in our lives who wouldn't have existed otherwise. It was for the church community that we're a part of, the friends that we have, the experiences that we've lived. And dare I say, it was even because God loved me so much that he wanted me to live in a town with more delicious pizza options than I could ever deserve. God works in mysterious ways, friends. And aside from my lifelong dreams about pizza, none of those were the reasons I thought God was bringing me to a master's program here in Mankato. But all of them, and others that I don't even know about yet, were part of that purpose for which he brought me here and made a way for me to live into. So whether you make it through your program and move into exactly the place in your field that you were anticipating, or if you divert to a completely different path, God is making a way and he has you there on purpose. Choma, thanks so much for joining me for these episodes. It was such a joy to chat with you and to get nostalgic about grad school together. And even though they likely won't hear it, a huge shout out to my Minnesota State Mankato clinical psych cohort. I miss you, and I hope you're well. Without you, I would have nothing to talk about in these episodes because there's just no way I would have finished without you. And hey, as you listen in, do you have any advice that you'd give a recent alum stepping into their first year of grad school in the fall? If so, send me a message on SpeakPipe so I can hear all about it. You just might get to hear yourself on the podcast. You can find a link in the show notes or you can visit our page at speakpipe.com slash after four pod. All right, that's a wrap for today. Come on back next week as we talk with Kim, an alumna from Franklin and Marshall College in Pennsylvania. Kim is in grad school right now, looking toward her second year in Yale's seismology PhD program. Wow. We're going to hear about her current experiences and what she's doing in real time to thrive and be successful in grad school. You don't want to miss it, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast, turn on notifications, and if you like what you're hearing, give us a rating and a review if your podcast platform allows you to. Thanks for tuning in today, and have a great week. I'll see you in the after, alumni.